Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for having your presence felt so much this morning through worship. God, I thank you that every chain is broken because of your name, that your name is power, God. Father, I thank you for all the ways that you call yourself so that we may remember who you are and remember the things that you do for us. God, I pray today that for anyone who is struggling or anyone who is in a hard time in their life, God, they look up to you and see you. And the pain might not go away, God, but they know that you are with them and you are walking alongside them, God. Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, so that our sins are accounted for, that we don't have to account for those things that you took upon that burden. And I thank you for that amazing gift. God, I just pray over this sermon that I pray that your words are heard, not mine. I pray that you speak through me, you speak to me, and you speak in spite of me. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So welcome to UCC on this lovely day. I hear it's lovely outside. I really haven't been outside since earlier this morning. So thank you for joining us. Um, I would recap, but you know those times when you hear Raja's sermon sometimes, and you're like, man, that was a really good sermon, and then you wake up the next day, and you're like, wait, what did he actually talk about? That's kind of what I had after hearing his sermon. Uh, <laughs> it was good, though. It was really good. I just, yeah, so sorry. So this week, we're going to continue along in our series of the names of God, and um, just the introduction, uh, as you see in that clip, uh, when I think of World War II, I love history, and um, like when I, the one thing I love about history is wars. Like I, I love the, the the strategicness and all those things that go along with it. And it was, and World War II obviously is probably one of the most well known wars in the world because everyone was involved in it. Um, I love the stories about all these people going through hard times. Like I think of the um, 101st Airborne that uh, the Battle of the Bulge where they were pretty much left alone on this mountain and they had to defend it and they pretty much had everything coming at them and, and they stood there and, 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 and fought. I think of the Pacific Navy after they were beaten and bruised on the attack of Pearl Harbor, they, they came back and won the war in the Pacific. And then, of course, this story that was shown, um, The Red Tails. If you haven't heard of The Red Tails, go watch the movie, The Red Tails. Um, it's really good. Um, and it ta- talks about the story of this, the um, 332nd Airborne Unit, which is um, called the Red Tails, or they're the Tuskegees. They, uh, their base was in Tuskegee, Alabama, and it was brought together of all black men. And so a few things that you can get from what I just said is, one, I grew up in California, so I have no idea what Canada did in World War II. Sorry. Um, were they involved? I don't know. Um, and two, all of these groups had to endure great and hard times of diversity and challenge. But the group I really want to focus, the Red Tails, were in a time, they grew up, or not grew up, they came in a time where diversity was hard for um, African Americans in the time. Um, they were free, but even in war, they still had to fight on their own. They were all in black squad- squadrons. They didn't fight with other white people. It was just them. And the Red Tails came up against this this wall. And this wall was that um, black men will never be able to fly airplanes. And they came up to this wall and they 
went full force. Um, the Red Tails became so famous and so well-known that um, they were assigned to bomber escorting. And at one point, um, bomber esc- bombers were actually requesting them to come alongside them and escort them. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that bombers were pretty much flying ducks in the sky. Sure, they had machine guns attached to them, but literally there's no mobility, nothing. And then you have these fighter jets that can turn like crazy and do all these things and they're stuck. So a struggle that they came about was that um, fighter squadrons that escorted them, they pretty much wanted to go for the kill. So the, the Germans would send in a decoy group and then all the pilots would go fly off and go get those decoys while another set of planes comes in and takes care of the bombers. Um, so the one thing I want to focus on about these red tails or these gentlemen was that they realized the bigger picture and that a bomber had 10 people on it and, they only, and this fighter that they were going after only had one. And they saw what was important, what was the bigger picture. This bomb that's going to go and do damage to Nazi tank factories or armories or things like that. Or are they going to worry about themselves? But the thing I really loved about them is that they painted their tails, their, their wingtips, and their propeller tips bright red. Now, if you know about planes, and I researched this a little bit, um, planes in World War II were painted two colors. One, one was painted, one wasn't. Um, one, it was left, for the day flights, it was left completely aluminum, shiny, polished up, and just aluminum. And then during the night, it was painted a super matte, grayish black thing that they couldn't be seen. And then during the day, the sun would reflect off it so it would be harder for people to see. But it's the cool part about these, these red tails is that they painted these things red so that people would know that they were coming. People would know they were there. And bombers became to like this because they would see these planes coming in and they would feel this peace, this sense of ref- refreshment or like courage because they were like, oh, we're taking care of this time. And something that is so cool, how often do we think about that in life? Do we come to a place or we're going through something and we see something that brings us calm or peace or refreshment? And during World War II, for these bombers, that was it. These red tails coming up into the sky through the clouds and they saw that and they were like, oh man, this time we're actually taken care of. And I wanna go to a story in the Bible where the Israelites um, in the Old Testament had this sense of peace where God showed himself in a way that they gained and earned this sense of peace. So if you want, you can turn your Bibles to Exodus 17, verse eight. We're gonna jump to there in a second if you have your Bibles. But first, I'm gonna introduce the story and whatnot of the people they're going up against and such. So first off, the name we are looking at today is Jehovah Nisi. And uh, this name is found in Exodus, obviously, like I said, and it will open up uh, what it means in English in just a moment. So where we meet the Israelites and the time where God introduced himself as Jehovah Nisi, they are journeying from a place uh, of refreshing and rest. Um, That's pretty much what the word was translated to. I couldn't pronounce it, so I just put that in to make it easier. And now they are going from here to the wilderness of sin where they desired food and became restless with Moses. So this is the time where a lot of people remember where they were hungry, didn't have any food, and then God rained the manna down. 
So Jehovah or Yahweh, God, whatever you want to call him, uh, gave them manna during this time of hunger. He fed them, replenished them. And then after that, they continued walking to where they landed in Rephidim. And, and this is where they, they had no water now. Now they have food. They're like, yeah, we're fed. And now they're like, oh, crap, we ran out of water now. Like, what are we going to do? And it's funny how they become angry and, and, and doubt God again and, and, display, and are just frustrated again. After they were just fed by God and had this amazing miracle, they became angry again. Um, but the funny part is, as God gave them manna, and even after they doubted and frustrated, he blessed them again and gave them water. So that's so cool that even with their anger and doubt, God still provided for them. Think about that. Even with their anger and doubt, God still provided for them. He then gave them water and quenched their thirst. And after this moment, Israel realized there were no more dangers in the world than hunger and thirst, and God was there to provide for them. And this is where God revealed himself as, um, as Jehovah Nisi to the Israelites. So I'm just gonna, um, so the people they were talking about are the people of the Amaleks. These are the people that come and attack Israel. So the descendants of Amalek are actually grandsons of Esau. So if you know who Esau is, that's great. He is all, um, so he, he had a concubine, you know, back in the time where they got a little crazy and had more than one wife. I don't know how the men did it, but they did it. Um, he bore a son, he bore a grandson named Amalek, and that is where um, the, the Amaleks came from. Thus, they were true descendants of Isaac. They became a, a menace to Israel in their eyes, a thorn in the flesh in the spiritual and natural life of Israel. Numbers 24, 20 says, then Balaam saw Amalek and spoke his message. Amalek was first among the nations, but their end will be utter destruction. Putting that into context, Balaam was saying that there the Amaleks were the first opposition of Israel after they left Egypt. They were the ones that were gonna be there for a long time and that Israel had to take care of them in some way. So Moses in later times in Israel's history calls upon them to remember in the ways which the Amalekites oppressed them and hurt them. Deuteronomy 25, 17 and 18 says, remember what the Amalekites did to you among the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. The Amaleks, the Alamekites, were a brutal and dangerous people. They, were not only attack, they would not only attack Israel, they would come up behind them and attack the children and women. So in caravans, sometimes the women and the people who were elderly and the children would fall behind because there's a ton of stuff going on. You're walking for a long time. Think about it. They were... 40 years walking and wandering through the wilderness. So they would get tired and they would fall behind and the Amaleks would come behind and take care of those. They, the hard part for the Israels is they were passing through the region where the Amalekites lived. And so naturally, um, what does a nation that doesn't want you to be there do? They attack you, they oppress you, they challenge them in all their plans. So this is where we come to the Bible and I'm gonna read from it. So Exodus 17, 8, 16 says, the Alamekites uh, came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joseph, jo- Joshua, sorry, so many J's, Joshua, choose some of your men and go out to fight the Am- Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Am- 
Amalekites, as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and her um, her went uh, went and her went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and sat and he sat on it. Aaron and her held his hands up. One on one, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Write this on a scroll as something to remember, and make sure that Joshua, Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of the Amalekite from under the heaven." Moses built an altar and called it in the Lord, called it the Lord is my banner. He said. Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, and the Lord will be, will be at war against the Amalekites generation to generation. So as we go through this, we look at this name, Jehovah Nisi. So the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nisi. Um, it's translated into the Lord is my banner. So to get to the true meaning of Jehovah Nisi, we're going to have to put a little puzzle together. Now, this puzzle goes through a few things. So the first part I want you to notice from verses eight to nine, that there is absolute no fear in the people of Israel. There is nothing written about fear of them or anything in that sense. It is however written in other verses. So in the Old Testament, you knew when the Israelites were fear, were fearful or scared. They wrote about it. They let you know. For instance, Exodus fourteen ten to 12 says, as Pharaoh approached the Israelites, um, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. This passage here shows you how the Israelites normally act when bad things happen to them. Rather than acting out the way God desires them to react in a sinful manner. When reading through these verses, It makes sense why, but when reading through the verses previously, so the first part of chapter 17, it makes sense why they're not scared. Look at what happened. They were hungry and God fed them. They were thirsty and God gave them water. And they realized that, oh my goodness, God is on our side. They just just went through a time where every time they doubted or got frustrated with God, he would provide for them. You are... um, so now this would make you, think about it. That would make you feel a lot stronger. It would make you feel courageous and like, man, there's nothing that's gonna beat us. You know, you were, they were in a place of suffering a little while ago and even with their grumblings, God provided for them. It seems as as they knew God would be there to fight with them. So the first piece of the name of God, Jehovah Nisi, there is no fear because of God provides. Remember that, there is There is no fear because of God's, sorry, not God provides, God's provisions. The Israelites were not terrified. They were not scared. They knew God was on their side. The second part of of this little section that is really interesting that I like, since we're going through the name of God series, we're gonna break down the name who led the people, Joshua. So looking at the different names of the meaning of Joshua, which names were important in the Old Testament, if you look at Abram, changed to Abraham, Abram got changed to Abraham as meaning the father of all nations or something. Man, 
Close enough, I think. Um, <laughs> so names are important in the Old Testament. So Joshua's original name, Hosea, um, means give deliverance or help. Now, if I'm going to war and God's, and names are important in the Old Testament, I want to stand next to that guy. Like, you know, oh, that's what your name means? Yeah, I'm going to be your friend during this little battle. Because deliverance or help, that means he is going to deliver them from the, the tyranny, from the hardship. Now, if you're, uh, not that, so now his name was changed now to Joshua, or in Hebrew, Yehoshua. Gosh, I love Hebrew names, which means help or salvation. Now, think about that. The man who is leading the people of God was called, um, who was called by God and name was changed by God, his name was to free and protect them. When we think about names in the Old Testament, they do have a meaning and there is purpose behind it. And I think Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner, a part of it is saying that I will, I will be your salvation and I will help you. So the second puzzle piece that we need to remember is there will be deliverance and salvation from the Amalek people for the Israelites. There will be deliverance and salvation from the Amalekites. The third part we're coming to is, is now in where God stands to make the picture clearer about him, about who he is. We think about Moses' rod. Now, we can think of so many stories about Moses' rod. Cool ones, crazy ones, scary ones. Um, where he put it in the water and the Nile turned to blood. That would freak me out. Like, I love water, and I couldn't imagine swimming along, and then all of a sudden, whoa, you know, or, or when his rod turns into a snake, or things like that. The rod is God's mighty hand and outstretched arm. This was showing that God is there with them, whether the Amalekites acknowledged it or not. He was God. Think about that. Whether, whether the enemy acknowledged it or not, God is God. There is nothing, whether people believe it or not, he's still God. He is still there. He is still reigning. He is still ruling. It was what, um, the rod is what protected the people of Israel from the time of Exodus to the time Moses died. It was what God worked through from Moses' inter, inter, uh, interactions um, with Pharaoh, to the parting of the Red Sea. The rod did these things to remind the people of the things God has done and what God will do for them. The people of Israel at the time wanted to see God, and this is, was a reminder for them that he was there. The rod isn't God's body, but it is there to remind the people God is there with them in spirit. So the third puzzle piece I want you to remember, if you're taking notes, if you are, um, that God is always present with us. We might not see him or we might not hear him, but he is always there in our lives. I think about all the hard times. Like, it's so funny how, how Kristen spoke about that during the offering. I'm like, oh, that's like perfect, you know? And, it, and, it's, and it's true. The times in the valleys, God is still there with us. In the times of joy, God is there with us. In the time of pain, God is there with us. The pain might, might not go away, but God is there with us, standing beside us. At telling you it's okay to cry. I'm here with you though. You know, like a father going to his son when he falls over and hurts his knee. You know, I remember those times when I scrape my knee and it's like the end of the world. It's like, ah, and my dad's like, it's okay. It's gonna be okay. That's what God is to the Israelites. And then 
the last little piece is the raising and the lowering of the rod. So when the rod was lowered or raised, it wasn't there to show the people that God wanted the Israelites to be hurt or punished. This was there to show where the emphasis should go in all things in their lives. That their battle victory depended on God and God alone. Nothing they would have done would change the outcome. The outcome changer is God. Moses' rod was the Lord's banner. They saw it and showed them that God was with them. They wanted to see it. When it was raised, they could see it. They could see that God was with them. A banner in the times of the Israelites is translated to the word miracle. It was a sign of God's people to rally to him. That is the last big puzzle piece. God desires the people of Israel to always focus on him and see him in all things they did. That victories belong to him and no one else. Think about that. The victories belong to him and no one else. He is the one that blessed them and made them the nation they were. His banner is a sign of deliverance and salvation that he blessed that country with, bringing them out of slavery, multiplying them in numbers, providing for them physically and spiritually. They were only saved through him and him alone. Throughout the Old Testament, you see the people of Israel walk away, then come right back because they saw God again. You think about it at a time where they defiled the temple. And, oh gosh, what's the king's name? The king, then one king found the, 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 the scroll of Moses and then realized, holy crud, we are doing so many things wrong and then changed it all back and they started coming back to God and following God again. And then they fell away and then came back. How often is that there? And God's banner is there to remind us and to show them, remind them of the things he did for them, to bring them back to the plans God has for them. The banner is raised high and shown to them so that when they, when they stop looking down at their own sin, they look up and then go, oh, that's right. That's where I'm supposed to look. I'm supposed to look to him, not me. So one thing that is always challenging is bringing the context of the Bible into our lives So I want to bring it into context for two ways for us. The first thing, the first analogy is the battle against the Amalekites is an analogy of our own spiritual warfare. The people of Amalekite were the thorn in Israel's side and sin is the thorn in our side. We are in a place where people are not attacking us on a daily basis. Let's be real. We are in a really safe country. No one even knows Canada exists outside of Canada. Let's be real. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's the American in me. Um, but, but our warfare is going on in our own lives. The battle we are facing, we wake up to it daily. And, and I, want, I want you to think about this for a second. I'm gonna pause at the end of it so you can think about it. What are your thoughts on spiritual warfare? Does it make you nervous? Does it intimidate you? Or does it excite you and get you fired up to fight the enemy and his army? Think about that. Do you run in fear at the thought of spiritual warfare? Do you run in fear at the thought of that someone is actually attacking you and wanting you to fall and wanting you to turn away from God? 
or does it get you fired up? And I, I kind of wish Joelle was here right now because I'm sure she'd be like, yeah, I'm fired up, you know? And, you know, you go and fight the enemy. When Moses told Joshua to go, I, I love this. I, I quoted this from a book I read, and he said, when Moses told Joshua to go pick out men and go fight, he meant business. He wanted the people of Amalekite to know who they were up against. He didn't just say, go, you know, just go pick whoever and, you know, no. He's like, go pick men that are willing to fight. Go pick men that are going to fight and go take them down. The people of Amalekite might have had numbers and strength on their side, but Israel, again, had God on their side. The same goes for us. The same thing goes for us on our daily life, in our daily life, with spiritual warfare and anything else going on. We shouldn't wake up and be meek and tremble at the sight of temptation and sin. We should look up to God and the spiritual gifts he blessed us with to take on the enemy and beat him. God gave us weapons to fight the devil with, stated in the book of Ephesians, and it's up to us to use them. We know the spiritual gifts. Um, Raja did an amazing series on them last year, I think, maybe. Go look it up. It's awesome, where he breaks down all these things and teaches you about them. God gave us the helmet of salvation to remind us that we are saved and we have been sanctified by him. God gives us the ultimate fighting machine, a sword, a.k.a. the spirit, um, to beat the enemy in battle. God doesn't want us to crumble in fear today. He wants us to stand up and train to defeat the enemy in battle. He wants us to run towards the fight um, because we know God is on our side. We cannot lose with Yahweh, the King of Kings, and Christ our Savior on our side. John Bunyan on one of his pilgrims said, there is no armor for a Christian's back. I, I, when I read that, I'm like, huh, that's kind of bad because, I mean, what about if you've got to retreat? But then I thought about it as we shouldn't be retreating. Retreat shouldn't be an option in a Christian's vocabulary. God gives us these spiritual gifts, these spiritual items, so that we're moving forward, so that we're protected from the front. God wants us to continue to move forward, to look up to his banner and to see that he is with us and to return to him and to come to him. 2 Timothy 4, 7 tells us to fight the good fight of faith. And our faith is in God in his provisions to help us keep going. The names of God are here to remind us of the things he has done for us. Jehovah Nisi is there to remind us that he is with us in battle, fighting with us. Remember that. When you might think, there's nothing that I can do. I am stuck in a rut and, there, and the enemy is standing over me and I am trembling in fear. Remember that God is right there with you, willing to fight. You just have to look to him, look up to him. The second, um, bringing it into our context, is Jehovah Nisi is to show us we cannot fight on, with our own strength alone, like I kind of said in before. It is totally clear in this section of God's word. The rod of Moses was the symbol of God's presence. When it was lowered, people could not see God. But when it was raised, they could see him. The powers of this world are strong. And when God is not on our side, we will lose. When we do not use God, when we are on our own, when we are using our own strength, we will lose. Newsflash, I'm sorry. 
It stinks to hear and it stinks to think about sometimes, but we will lose on our own. But when God is on our side, we are stronger than anything else in the world. Now, some people might think, how are we powerful when we're, when, when we're in a time of suffering? I think about that all the time when I'm struggling, when I feel, when I, I'm hard on myself, when I'm beating myself up, when sin is beating me down. How can I get out of this? But the one thing that I need to remember is that God gave us the final banner 2,000 years ago when Christ was risen on the cross and his blood ran down and our sins were forgiven on that day. That Jesus was the final banner and his banner lasts for eternity. Not just today, not just yesterday, for all time. His death brought us strength. His death gave us life. And his life, even when we're hurting, Christ is in our presence at all times. And he does not flee from us. We flee from him. Remember that. Christ is with us all the time. The analogy I always use, and I'm stealing this from someone, but I love it so much, is that Christ is in us. And we're a big piece of marble. And the Holy Spirit is there with a chisel chiseling away at the outside to get to Christ inside of us. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate sculptor, sculpting away at the sin and the pain and the anguish to get to Christ that is in us. Just remember that you are not, God is not fleeing you. God is with you at all times. Hebrews 12, one to three I'm gonna say, I'm closing and I'm only gonna say it once. Um, Hebrews 12, one to three says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, not on this world, not on the sin that we've committed, but on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such oppression for sinners so that we may not grow weary and lose heart. So that we may not grow weary and lose heart. This is the modern day Jehovah Nissi. We are to fix our eyes on Christ, to run to him, to run to him, to have no fear in the things we do, but to follow him who bore the pain that we deserve. I think about all the things I've done in the past and I am acquitted. I, I, think, I hope that's the right word. I am not charged guilty of those things I've done. The pain I deserve, the pain we deserve is, is forgiven. We need to look up to see God and stop looking down at our sin because of our sin is already washed away. We need to stop looking down at our own sin and look up. Not for other people, not for our sons and daughters, not for our brothers and sisters, not for our husband or wife. We need to look up to Christ for ourselves. 
So many times I get caught up in, man, what is, how is Kristen's, how is Kristen's spiritual life? What is, how is her relationship with God? When it's like, no, I need to worry about my own. I need to look to Christ on my own. The closer I am to God, the better husband I can be, the better brother I can be, the better son I can be. And looking up to God, looking up to his banner will help me in that way. I want you all to remember, it's a paraphrase, but it's always awesome. The quote from Isaiah, our crimson sin will be washed away as white as snow. Your sin that you're struggling with is washed away. And the nice part is we can look up to God no matter what we're doing, we can look up to him and see his banner raised high. And his banner might be in this book. His banner might be on a Sunday morning worshiping. His banner might be you praying in your, in your car and people are looking at you and what is that person doing? But you're praying and you feel God's presence. That is his banner. His banner isn't a rod that is probably buried somewhere in the Middle East. His banner was Christ 2,000 years ago that is now in us and a part of us and that he is always with us. One thing that I have learned this year is that, yes, I am a sinner. And I used to, up until last this year, I used to think, That is what I'm remembered by. But this year, I don't know what it was or what happened, but I realized that is not what I'm remembered by. I'm remembered by Christ. That when I stand before God, God sees Christ, not me. Thank God, (laughs) because I am broken. But the one thing I need to remember when I am on this earth living my life right now, I need to look up to him and stop looking down at my sin. Because when I'm looking down, all I see is my feet and I don't see anything else. But when I'm looking up to God, I have have view of everything. I mean, uh, a quote from Matt Chandler um, a few years ago, I went to the Catalyst Conference and I love this quote and I will always remember it, is that when we're looking down, we only see our feet. But when we look up, we can see everything. You know, I think about um, I remember the first time I went to the beach when I moved to California and like the, the sand felt so different than sand in Ontario because it was light and flaky. Maybe I just go to bad beaches in Ontario. Even, I don't know. And I was looking down and I could only see my feet and I realized that that's all I see. But once I looked up, I saw this beautiful, the coolest place on earth, the Pacific Ocean. That's what I think at least. Everybody probably has something different. But that's what I, and I saw everything. I didn't just see this one little, you know, I was really young, so it was probably really tiny feet and like this little, but I saw everything. And that's what God's banner is there for, is so that we look up and see him in his glory and we see his glory everywhere. So I want you all to remember that, that we need to stop looking down at our sin and look up to his banner because his banner is raised high and he wants us to look to that. So let's, let's just close in prayer. It's so cool knowing that no matter what we do, we are forgiven. 
that God loves us so much that we get to inherit, inherit eternity with him. In this time of life, things will get hard and things will get challenging. But what are you gonna do with it? Are you gonna wallow in your pain and frustration or anger or whatever it is? Or are you gonna look up to God and be like, you know what, God, it stinks right now, but I have you and that is what matters. So right now, I pray whatever you are going through, if you're on a mountaintop, I pray that you remember this moment so that when the valleys come, you can, you can look back up to that moment and see God there. But I pray for the people in the valley right now that, they, that you look up to God right now. And that in your circumstances where you are right now, God, you see that God is with you. I pray that you feel his presence and remember that he is with you. Holy Spirit is so refreshing knowing that that you are omnipresent and you are with everyone. You're not just in one place like the enemy is. You are everywhere. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you have everyone here today remember that in times of struggle, in times of pain, to look up to you, to look to your banner, to look to Jesus in our times of struggling and remember that you are with us and things will get better. I don't know when, I can't tell you where or how, but I know things will get better if you follow the God, follow God with all your heart, all your mind and all your soul because one day you will be standing in front of him and he will say, well done, my, my loving and faithful servant. God, help us to remember that, that that's what's important in life, living our lives for you. We pray these things in your son's holy and precious name, amen.